0: Section 33 of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole. The Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 2, by Anonymous. Translated by Dr. Jonathan Scott, 1754 to eighteen twenty nine the story of nur ad deen and the fair persian part three as soon as they were gone nur ad deen little suspecting the resolution they had formed never to see him again went directly to the fair persian's apartment to whom he related all the steward had told him and seemed extremely concerned at the ill state of his affairs sir said the fair persian Allow me to say you would never take my advice, but always managed your concerns after your own way, and now you see the fatal consequences. I find I was not mistaken when I presaged to what a miserable condition you would bring yourself at last, but what afflicts me the more is that at present you do not see the worst of your misfortunes. Whenever I presumed freely to remonstrate with you, let us be merry you replied and improve the time that fortune offers us perhaps she will not always be so prodigal of her favours but was i to blame in telling you that we are ourselves the makers of our own fortunes by a prudent management of them you would not hearken to me and i was forced however reluctantly to let you go on i must own replied ad deane i was extremely in the wrong in not following the advice which with such admirable prudence you gave me it is true i have spent my estate but do you not consider it is among a chosen set of friends whom i have long known and who i am persuaded have more generosity and gratitude than to abandon me in distress sir replied the fair persian if you have nothing but the gratitude of your friends to depend on your case is desperate for believe me that hope is ill-grounded and you will tell me so yourself in time to this Noraddin replied charming persian i have a better opinion of my friends generosity to-morrow i design to visit them all before the usual time of their coming hither and you shall see me return with a round sum that they will assist me with. I am resolved to alter my way of living, and with the money they lend me, to set up in some business.' Next morning, Nur ad-Din visited his ten friends, who lived in the same street. He knocked at the first door, where one of the riches of them resided. A slave came to the door, but before he would open it, asked who was there. "'Tell your master!' said he to the slave it is noor ad deen the late vizier's Kakan's son the slave opened the door and shooed him into a hall where he left him in order to inform his master who was in an inner room that Nor ad deen was come to wait on him Nor ad deen cried he in a disdainful tone loud enough for him to hear go tell him i am not at home and whenever he may come again be sure you give him the same answer.' The slave returned and told Noor ad Deen he thought his master was within, but was mistaken. Noor ad Deen came away in the greatest confusion. "'Ah, base, ungrateful wretch!' cried he, to treat me so to-day, after the vows and protestations of friendship that he made me yesterday.' He went to another door but that friend ordered his slave also to say he was gone out. He had the same answer at the third, and, in short, all the rest denied themselves, though every one was at home. Nur now began in earnest to reflect with himself, and see the folly of relying upon the protestations of attachment that his false friends had solemnly made him in the time of his prosperity, when he could treat them sumptuously, and load them with favours. "'It is true,' said he to himself, "'that a fortunate man as I was may be compared to a tree laden with fruit, which, as long as there is any on its boughs, people will be crowding around and gathering. But as soon as it is stripped of all, they immediately leave it and go to another.' He smothered his passion as much as possible while he was abroad, but no sooner was he got home then he gave a loose to his affliction, and discovered it to the fair Persian. The fair Persian, seeing him so extremely concerned, guessed he had not found his friends so ready to assist him as he expected. "'Well, sir,' said she, "'are you now convinced of the truth of what I told you?' "'Ah!' cried he, "'thou hast been too true a prophetess, "'for not one of them would know me, see me, or speak to me.' who could ever have believed that person so highly obliged to me and on whom i have spent my estate could have used me so ungratefully i am distracted and i fear i shall commit some action unworthy of myself in the deplorable and desperate condition i am reduced to unless you assist me with your prudent advice Sir, replied the fair Persian, I see no other way of supporting yourself in your misfortunes but selling off your slaves and furniture, and living on the money they produce, till heaven points out some other means to deliver you from your present misery. Norad Din was loath to resort to this expedient, but what could he do in the necessitous circumstances to which he was reduced? He first sold off his slaves— those unprofitable mouths, which would have been a greater expense to him than in his present condition he could bear. He lived on the money for some time, and when it was spent, ordered his goods to be carried into the market-place, where they were sold for half their value, though there were among them several articles that had cost immense sums. Upon the produce of these he lived a considerable time, but this supply failing at last he had nothing left by which he could raise any more money of which he informed the fair persian in the most sorrowful expressions nor adine little expected the answer this prudent woman made him sir said she i am your slave and the late vizier your father gave 10000 pieces of gold for me i know i am a little sunk in value since that time but i believe i shall sell for pretty near that sum let me entreat you then instantly to carry me to the market and expose me to sale and with the money that you get for me which will be very considerable you may turn merchant in some city where you are not known and by that means find a way of living if not in splendour yet with happiness and content lovely and adorable persian cried norah is it possible you can entertain such a thought have I given you such slender proofs of my love, that you should think me capable of so base an action? But suppose me so vile a wretch, could I do it without being guilty of perjury, after the oath I have taken to my late father never to sell you? I would sooner die than break it and part with you, whom I love infinitely beyond myself, though by the unreasonable proposal you have made me, you shew me that your love is by no means reciprocal. Sir— replied the fair persian i am convinced that your passion for me is as sincere as you express and heaven who knows with what reluctance i have made this proposal which induces you to think so hardly of me is my witness that mine is as great as yours but to silence your reasons i need only bid you remember that necessity has no law i love you to that degree that it is impossible for you to love me more and be assured that to what master soever i shall belong my love for you will continue undiminished and if you are ever able to redeem me as i hope you may it will be the greatest pleasure in the world to be restored to you again i confess it is a fatal and cruel necessity to which we are driven but i see no other way of freeing ourselves from the misery that involves us both Nur ad-Din, convinced of the truth of what the fair Persian had said, and that there was no other way of avoiding a shameful poverty, was forced to yield to her proposal. Accordingly, he led her to the market where the women slaves are exposed to sale, with a regret that cannot easily be expressed. He applied himself to a broker named Hagi Hassan. Hagi Hassan, said he, here is a slave whom I mean to sell. What will they give for her? Hagi Hassan desired Nur Ad Deen and the fair Persian to walk into a room, and when she had pulled off the veil that covered her face, Sir said Hagi Hassan in surprise, "If I am not mistaken, this is the slave your father, the late vizier, gave ten thousand pieces of gold for." Nur Ad Deen assured him she was the same and hagi hassan gave him some hopes of selling her at a high price and promised to use all his art to raise her value as high as he could hagi hassan and Noraddin went out of the room and hagi hassan locked the fair persian in he went immediately to the merchants but they being busy in buying slaves from different countries greeks franks africans tartars and others he was forced to wait till the market was over when the sale was ended and the greatest part of them were got together again my masters said he to them with an air of gaiety in his looks and actions everything that is round is not a nut everything that is long is not a fig all that is red is not flesh and all eggs are not fresh it is true you have seen and bought a great many slaves in your lives, but you never yet saw one comparable to her I am going to tell you of. She is the very pearl of slaves. Come, follow me. You shall see her yourselves, and judge at what rate I shall cry her. The merchants followed Hagi Hassan into the apartment where he had left the fair Persian, and as soon as they beheld her, were so surprised at her beauty that they unanimously agreed four thousand pieces of gold was the very lowest price they could set upon her the merchants left the room and hagi hassan who came out with them without going any further proclaimed with a loud voice four thousand pieces of gold for a persian slave None of the merchants had yet offered anything, and were consulting together about what they might afford to give for her, when the vizier Sawi appeared. Perceiving Noor ad Deen in the market, he said to himself, Noor ad Deen is certainly still making money of his goods, for he knew he had exposed them to sale, and is come hither to buy a slave with the product.' he advanced forward just as Hagi Hassan began to proclaim a second time, Four thousand thousand pieces of gold for a Persian slave!' The vizier, Sawi, who concluded by the high price that the slave must be extraordinarily beautiful, was very desirous to see her. So, spurring his horse forward, he rode up to Hagi Hassan, who was surrounded by the merchants. "'Open the door!' said he and let me see the slave it was not the custom to shew a slave to a particular person after the merchants had seen her and were treating for her but none of them durst dispute their right with the vizier and hagi hassan was obliged to open the door and he made a sign to the fair persian to come forward that sawi might see her without alighting from his horse the vizier was astonished at the sight of so beautiful a slave, and knowing the broker's name, having formerly dealt with him—'Hagi Hassan,' said he, "'is it not at four thousand pieces of gold that you cry her?' "'Yes, sir,' answered he. "'The merchants just now agreed that I should put her up at that price. I wait their advance, and I question not, but they will give a great deal more.' if no one offers more i will give that sum replied sawi looking at the merchants at the same time with a countenance that forbade them to advance the price he was so universally dreaded that no one durst speak a word even to complain of his encroaching upon their privilege the vizier having stayed some time and finding none of the merchants outbid him what do you stay for said he to hagi hassan inquire after the seller and strike a bargain with him at four thousand pieces of gold or ask if he demands more hagi hassan having locked the chamber door went to confer with nur ad-din sir said he to him i am very sorry to bring you the ill news of your slaves going to be sold for nothing how so replied nur ad why sir continued hagi hassan you must know that the business at first went on well for as soon as the merchants had seen your slave they ordered me without hesitation to cry her at four thousand pieces of gold accordingly i cried her at that price but presently the vizier sawi came and his presence has stopped the mouths of all the merchants who seemed disposed to raise her at least to the same price your deceased father gave for her Sawi will give no more than four thousand pieces, and it is much against my inclination that I am come to tell you his despicable offer. The slave indeed is your own, but I will never advise you to part with her upon those terms, since you and every one else are sensible of her being worth infinitely more. Besides, he is base enough to contrive a way to trick you out of the money.' "'Hagi Hassan,' replied Nur I am highly obliged to thee for thy advice. Do not think I will ever sell my slave to any enemy of our family. My necessities, indeed, are at present very great. But I would sooner die in the utmost poverty than consent to delivering her up to him. I have only one thing to beg of thee, who art skilful in all the turns and shifts of sale, that thou wouldst put me in a way to prevent the completion of the bargain. "'Sir,' said Hagi Hassan, "'nothing is more easy. You must pretend that, being in a violent passion with your slave, you swore to expose her in the market, and, for the sake of your oath, have now brought her hither, without any intention of selling her. This will satisfy every one, and Sawi will have nothing to say against it. Come along with me, then, and just as I am presenting her to Sawi, as if it were by your own consent, Pull her to you, give her two or three blows, and send her home. I thank thee for thy counsel, said ad- and will make use of it. Hagi Hassan went back to the chamber, and having privately acquainted the fair Persian with their design, that she might not be surprised, took her by the hand and led her to the vizier, Sawi, who was still on horseback at the door. Sir, said he, here is the slave. She is yours. Take her. The words were scarcely out of Hagi Hassan's mouth, when Nur ad catching hold of the fair Persian, pulled her to him, and giving her a box on the ear. Come hither, impertinence, said he, and get you home again, for though your ill-humour obliged me to swear I should bring you hither, yet I never intended to sell you. I have business for you to do yet, and it will be time enough to part with you when I have nothing else left the conduct of norah ad put the vizier sawi into a violent passion miserable debauchee cried he wouldst thou have me believe thou hast anything else left to make money of but thy slave and at that same instant spurring his horse directly against him endeavoured to carry off the fair persian norah ad nettled to the quick at the affront the vizier had put upon him quitted the fair persian and laying hold of his horse's bridle made him run two or three paces backwards vile dotard said he to the vizier i would tear thy soul out of thy body this moment were it not out of respect for the crowd of people here present the vizier sawi being hated by all there was not one among them but was pleased to see nur ad mortify him and by signs they gave him to understand that he might revenge himself upon him as much as he pleased, for nobody would interfere in their quarrel. Sawi endeavoured to force Nur Adin to quit the bridle, but he, being a lusty, vigorous man, and encouraged by those that stood by, pulled him off his horse, gave him several blows, and dashed his head against the stones, till it was all over blood the slaves who waited upon the vizier would have drawn their simters and fallen upon nur ad Deen, but the merchants interposing prevented them what do you mean said they to them do you not see that one is a vizier the other a vizier's son let them fight it out perhaps they will be reconciled one time or another whereas if you had killed nur ad-din your master, with all his greatness, could not have been able to protest you against the law. Nor Deen, having given over beating the vizier Sawi, left him in the mire, and taking the fair Persian, marched home with her, attended by the people, with shouts and acclamations for the action he had performed. The vizier, cruelly bruised with the blows he had received, made shift to get up, with the assistance of his slaves, and had the mortification to see himself be smeared with blood and dirt. He leaned on the shoulders of two slaves, and, in that condition, went straight to the palace in the sight of all the people, with the greater confusion, because no one pitied him. As soon as he reached the king's apartment, he began to cry out and call for justice in a lamentable tone— the king ordered him to be admitted, and asked who it was that had abused and put him into that miserable plight. Sire, cried Sowie, it is the favour of your majesty and being admitted into your sacred councils that has occasioned me to be so barbarously treated. See no more of that, replied the king, only let me hear the whole story, simply, and who the offender is, and if he is in the wrong, YOU MAY DEPEND UPON IT, HE SHALL BE SEVERELY PUNISHED.' "'Sire!' said Sowie, telling the whole matter to his own advantage. "'Having occasion for a cook, I went to the market of women-slaves to buy one. When I came thither, there was a slave just cried out at four thousand pieces of gold. I ordered them to bring her before me, and I think my eyes never did, nor will, behold, a more beautiful creature.' I had no sooner examined her beauty with the highest satisfaction than I immediately asked to whom she belonged, and upon inquiry found that Nora Dean's son to the late vizier Kakan had the disposing of her. Your Majesty may remember that about two or three years ago you gave that vizier ten thousand pieces of gold, strictly charging him to buy you a slave with that sum. The money, indeed, was laid out upon this very slave— but instead of bringing her to your majesty thinking his son deserved her better he made him a present of her Noradine, since his father's death having wasted his whole fortune in riot and feasting has nothing left but this slave whom he at last resolved to part with and she was to be sold in his name i sent for him and without mentioning anything of his father's prevarication or rather treachery to your majesty I, in the civilest manner, said to him, Noradine, the merchants, I perceive, have put your slave up at four thousand pieces of gold, and, I question not, but in emulation of each other, they will raise the price considerably. Let me have her for the four thousand pieces. I am going to buy her for the king, our lord and master. This will be a handsome opportunity of making your court to him.' "'and his favour will be worth far more than the merchants can propose to give you. "'Instead of returning me a civil answer, the insolent wretch beholding me with a fierce air, "'Impotent villain!' said he. "'I would rather give my slave to a Jew for nothing than to thee for money.' ad deen, I replied, without passion, though I had some reason to be a little warm. You do not consider that by talking in this manner you affront the king, who raised both your father and me to the honours we have enjoyed. This admonition, instead of softening him, only provoked him to a higher degree, so that, falling upon me like a madman, without regard to my age or rank, he pulled me off my horse and put me in this miserable plight. I beseech your majesty to consider that it is on your account I have been so publicly affronted." End of section 33. Recording by Nicole.